Hey y'all, welcome back. Part three here on a Thursday, July 14th, 2022 edition of the Chasing Most Podcast. If you missed part one and part two, guess what? If you check out this very feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcasts, you can check out every single episode on uh, today's edition of the program. Uh, three different parts right here on the Chasing Most Podcast. Um, so go check that out. Uh, Carlin Gay and Matt Chernoff. If you missed that, guess what? Right here. Easy enough on this very feed. Uh, check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chasing Most Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out all of our great video content on the YouTube page as we continue growing that out. Check out the homepage, chasingmostpodcast.com. Access to all my previous episodes. Uh, make sure to subscribe to my daily newsletter. All my sports writing is over at one place now, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Type your email and become a subscriber. That easy. That simple. Go ahead and do that today. You can email this very program with any mailbag stuff, any questions for me at chasedomuspodcast at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you guys. As always, thank you for making the Chase Most Podcast part of your daily listen, wherever and however you listen to the program. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, the Ringers, Brian Curtis is on here, as I mentioned, to wrap up today's edition of the program. We talked a lot of college football realignment, uh, rivalries. Uh, we talked about um, just where the sport's headed and... Um, Brian uh, spent a lot of time with Paul Feinbaum, uh, legendary SEC and just college football uh, writer, uh, radio host, and just it's a really good podcast. So go check that out on the press box in the ringer if you have not already done so. It's a great interview. So we talk about that. We talk about just sports writing, podcasting, where that's going. Um, his boss, Bill Simmons. We talk about him for a little bit. Um, we talk about um, Texas, Texas A&M, college football, SEC, Arch Manning, all that. So a lot of fun getting to talk with Brian on this edition of the program. So I appreciate him making the time. All right. Uh, that'll do it for part three. Let's jump into it with Uncle Darren. Let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back here on a Wednesday afternoon uh, with Ryan Curtis of TheRinger.com. He is here to finally, once and for all, proclaim the University of Tennessee Knoxville the real UT. People forget that UT Austin is not indeed the real UT. Brian, I appreciate you you following through on uh, this request. You know, it's funny. It's like the, when they do the Pulitzer and they don't have any worthy category uh, winners in a particular category and they just say no winner this year. Mm-hmm. I think we just took UT, the real UT off the board for the last decade. Oof. Um, no, no winner. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're winning now, man. I saw Brad Crawford out here putting UT over Georgia this year. Um, wow. I mean, hey, it's it's fun times. You, you've you been grinding the Nico Maliava tape over there in SoCal. You're a SoCal guy now. You've been you've been at Long Beach. You've been scouting. You, you, you know what's me. on the horizon. Absolutely. Haunting those uh, bleachers on mm-hmm. a summer day, a little seven on seven. Absolutely. That's it's amazing how uh just prevalent that is now and i when i talk to so many different high school coaches and stuff it's just like you never know who's going to be there week to week it's like oh he's got a camp or he's at seven on seven or he's doing this and it seems like no one's ever all together anymore there's no like summer camp as a team they're just like you're just all over the place because kids want to play seven on seven and you're not gonna say you can't do it because it's how they get seen by other people i don't know it's it's a different world and i i don't envy the position that a lot of we talk about college coaches and a lot more on their plate I think it's also a lot more on high school coaches' plates that uh, was not the case years prior. And they're, by and large, pretty tired based on who I've talked to. 
Absolutely. And, you know, it came later for them in football because mm. basketball had the AAU thing going on forever. Mm-hmm. It was later that college football or high school football, excuse me, all of a sudden had, oh, he's playing seven on seven and he's at the rivals camp. And all of a sudden I'm his coach, mm-hmm. kinda, sort of, but I'm yeah. not his coach coach. And obviously with NIL stuff, I'm sure that's gotten even more complicated. Well, it's also just that like kids can't. So with the portal, a lot of roster spots are being held. So they're waiting to see who is going to be in the portal before they reach on a potential high school kid. So it's like a three star, two star high school kid might get left out to dry because that university that would typically sign him and take a chance on him are just like, we'll find a group of five guy that we can add at the, at the end here and go with that. A transfer who has played a little bit more experience, older. I don't know. I I think there's been a lot of tough conversations with high school coaches that they've had to have with kids. And um, it's, it's just a weird spot because they know that 99% of these kids are never going to play NFL football. And that the, by and large, the, the point of this is not to get them ready for the NFL or even just premier college football, because I mean, you can go three, you can win three straight titles and have one power five college guy. Like that's, it's just not reality. And I think um, it's just tough for a lot of these guys. Cause these kids want to get the tape out. They want to put the video out. They want the social stuff. And uh, I don't know. I, it's just a weird spot. It's very, very interesting. I love Friday night lights and you're a Texas guy. So, you know, high school football and just how important it is. And, it's it's my jam. So it's a it's a beautiful mess, just like college football that I'm going to pick your brain on that uh, I'm all about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not to drive us too far into a ditch, but one of my UT, that is University of Texas, non-real UT message oh, wow. board guys mm-hmm. has been writing about what you just talked about with recruiting. Like, mm-hmm. should we recruit three star, high three star guys anymore mm-hmm. at all? Because, you know, the chances of them being drafted are about 10%. If we count mm. drafted as like a semi-successful college football career, successful college football career. Or should we just slay, save those slots right. for the portal? And I think that's a fascinating discussion. I, I don't like it because, mm. I, you know, the, I feel that the toolsy high three-star guy is the one that we all fall in love with on the message board. Like, oh, yeah, I love <laughs> that guy. He really wants to be here, right? He's mm-hmm. the guy who's giving quotes to the Rivals site week after week. I'm just... It's that it's that, you know, family atmosphere. I love it. I'm I'm being a recruiter. I'm talking to other guys, but I don't know about that guy going forward. Are you still on the message board? Are you still reading uh, the YouTube? Okay, is that old fashioned now? I think it's I bet you if we had to do some honest polling for media members because we're all old now, I think everybody lurks. And no one posts. So yeah. it's one of those you they have no idea who's lurking. Uh, but it's uh, I guarantee you it's all kinds of folks lurking in the shadows that you would never guess are lurking and reading the posts. I don't post, mm-hmm. but I find not living in Texas that it's an amazingly efficient way to find out what's just going on in the state of Texas. Forget Texas football. Mm-hmm. Like Whataburger has the spicy ketchup back. I'm going <laughs> to find that out on orangebloods.com faster than I find it out anywhere else. And just all kinds of like. I don't know, just Texas news. I guess it's almost like, you know, when you listen to baseball games remotely mm. and they go to the local commercial and mm-hmm. it's just like awesome. It's a, you know, I don't know, a gun store or just something that screams yeah. home for better or worse. Mm. I I find that same effect listening to or reading message boards. It's like that's 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 that reads like home. Yeah, I'll get taken out because I'll be watching an NBA finals game and then an East Tennessee local business ad pops up and you're like, well, it's just jarring. You'll see something where if I'm away and I'm just like, 
what am I watching? Okay. Wow. Okay. Uh, I did not know I needed a hot tub in the Smokies, but that's, that's what I need right now. And you just, it, it just jars you every now and then. I imagine if I'm watching it somewhere else and I just get my, cause it's connected to your, uh, your IP and your, where your address is when you put up the cable or whatever. And then it's just like you're on vacation in Southern California and they're like, Hey, uh, Smoky Mountain Organics, uh, blah, blah, blah. blah. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> right there back home but i appreciate it i i like that kind of stuff it's um i mean there is a show i don't know this is right up your alley and i think about you when i watch this show sometimes because have you ever watched sports source in knoxville i haven't okay i need you to watch a clip they're okay. all available on youtube and i need you to get back to me because <laughs> brian this is there's an oral history for sports source sitting there for you at the ringer where it has been going for 20 years. It's a Sunday morning uh, TV thing. Uh, it's amazing following uh, Tennessee football games. But it's it's like it's a 2022 endeavor that looks like it's 1985. And it works and people all watch it and people never ask for it to change. There is no reason for it to change. It's exactly what it needs to be in this market. But it always takes me out when i put it on i'm like this is not an old 1987 like this is on right before an episode a new episode of twin peaks pops up like this is a (laughs) unbelievable experience that i love the takes are from like it's all like the takes from paul feinbaum columns that you talked about with him in the 80s it's an experience that i absolutely love because you're not getting it anywhere else sports source i think you'll be very intrigued by what you're watching this sounds absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm in just to be some description. <laughs> I'm going to watch it, but I'm not sure I even need to at this point because I love it so much already. It's so great. It's so great. Um, at one point, you'll have a, one of the reporters, retired reporters, who has like the gambling hat. What do they call that? The visor, the gambling visor? What is that called? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the guy at the casino, the green. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That uh-huh. makes an appearance every week. I mean, I'm telling you, it has everything and it's an absolute delight. And I'm all about it. Um, but you met with uh, Paul Feinbaum this week. So I was listening to y'all's conversation today. And Paul is extremely interesting. Um, and you did a really good job of framing how different his show is than every other national show. Not just because he takes callers, but because it's hard to get a read on where Paul thinks about a lot of stuff. And that's mm-hmm. just not the case on most national platforms. And I've always loved Paul for that because that's kind of where I am with this program where I've never wanted to be uh, arduous in my opinion, having stuff and like, I'll have fun and people know where I stand on Atlanta and Tennessee and stuff like that. But like by and large it's guest centric and I would much rather learn from the other person or get a feel for what they're thinking than what I'm thinking, because I don't, find that enjoyable i don't think i'm learning anything i don't think the listener is learning anything when i have andy staples on or brian curtis on i think they want to hear you guys i think they want to hear what your perspectives are so i think it's a it's a humbling aspect of it but i also think it's just it's just cool because it's a different fresh perspective and i think that's actually by and large what most people want out of a podcast um but i i think paul has always done a really good job because i think it's significantly more difficult to do that on a radio show than a podcast Absolutely. I mean, there's a reason, right? Those national sports radio shows, those guys come out at top of the show, top of the hour. Here are my takes. Mm-hmm. Call me. The lines are open. Let's go. Right. So I'm going to stir the pot because and his is just completely different. And, and it's funny with him because I think, you know, almost at all times where he stands. He's not mm-hmm. shy about his opinions, but he's a counterpuncher. Mm-hmm. Caller will say something, you know, a Stuart Mandel or an Andy Staples will say something. And then then he puts in the dig. 
And mm. then he insults UCLA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just sort of comes out like right at the end and then boom, commercial. Mm. And you're like, okay, I got that. It was just in a different order than it normally is. Did you learn anything new about Paul that you were surprised to glean from him from your conversation? I just never met him before. So that was, you know, it's always funny to like just somebody that you've listened to for a long time. And in our case, like talked on the phone for stories mm-hmm. before to actually meet him in person. I thought that was just kind of an interesting experience. You know, you know, I think with him to me, what was so interesting was like that he was a print reporter first mm-hmm. and foremost, and that he was a guy who sort of saw, as he said in the podcast, like my talent was, I thought I was good at my job. I thought I was really good at stirring things up mm-hmm. in Birmingham, making Alabama fans mad and making Auburn fans mad. But sports radio was just this medium that I could really, really go with. I could go this far as a columnist and then I could really, really go there. And also that, you know, like he had spent a lot of his early career trying to get out of Birmingham. Mm-hmm. He was going to go to Philadelphia and cover the Phillies. Can you imagine that? That was a heartbreaking story that he talks yeah. about. And the short, short story is he had broke a big story and then his paper got sued for libel. They won mm-hmm. the case, but it iced all of his national jobs. So he wasn't supposed to be this long timer in the South. He didn't mm-hmm. see himself that way. But because of that weird chance, you know, event, he winds up hosting 30 plus years of sports radio and becoming a big star and, you know, Mr. College Football. It's funny. And it's interesting, too, because he didn't enjoy writing columns based on that. He liked reporting. He was more he saw himself as a reporter. And it's like, I don't think if he gets sued and he continues reporting, I don't think he flips. Right. I got that kind of vibe from him that he was perfectly content being a reporter. And that was more his thing. And it makes sense that that is more his thing, because when you listen to a show, like you said, and that we what well, kind of what we've been talking about here is that like it's not take, 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 and I'm just gonna throw this at you. He's more of uh accumulating information. He's more of like I'm he's a more curious guy where I think he wants to do that and he'll go wherever the story goes. And he'll he has no qualms about going after universities and presidents if uh in the interest y'all talked about this of like, oh, we're looking out for the student athletes best interest and stuff like that. Like he's more than open to have that kind of conversation and reveal his point of view but it's also grounded in facts it's also grounded in a lot of reporting and people he talks to and what he's seen over decades of covering the sport where it doesn't feel like a hot take it just feels like this is reality and this is uh what's actually happening i'm, I'm not giving a take here this is just reality and this is how i'm presenting it to you guys but i i didn't get the sense that he enjoyed the column aspect where it's like here's my take and here's 800 words on why this take is unfallible right yeah. I mean, I think, I think he enjoyed, I think he enjoyed the performance of it. Mm-hmm. I, think he, I think he thought he was very good at, at, you know, saying the thing that other people weren't willing to say, you mm-hmm. know, but I don't think he was one of those guys who was like, you know, I am meant to be a writer full stop and that's it. Though so he did mm-hmm. write a column for a long time, even after he had a radio show. You're absolutely right about the facts thing. Yeah. You can hear that when he interviews guests, he's mm-hmm. downloading them. He's <laughs> interviewing them. That's, I had never heard it that I, I might keep that one downloading them. Um, I, it's just, it's super interesting because like our industry now, and I tell folks, it's so strange because for me, and I want to get your perspective on this, like I still probably get the most fulfillment writing something that I'm, I feel really good about. That's still probably number one for me is if I feel like I have an idea and I'm able to just figure it out and write and organize it in a way that I think works and then Mm -hmm. to polish it out and get it all done. That is still the most fulfilling thing for me. 
but I just, there's so much to audio now and to video and to podcasting and building this. It's a different kind of enjoyment for me to do this each and every day, but it, it still just doesn't touch writing for me. Is that how it is for you? Like when you obviously love doing the press box, but do you still find the most enjoyment doing the long form pieces for the ringer? Yeah. I think if you just like, in terms of this is, yeah, I, 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 I had a great podcast or I had a great piece. I probably feel better about the great piece, but yeah, you know, I, I wonder what that's a result of. Uh, it, there is writing versus podcasting, like two, uh, one mm. medium versus another medium, but there's also, if you have a great piece, you probably spend a lot of time doing it. True. <laughs> it's the accumulation of hours and hours and hours. Mm. Uh, if it's something beyond a column and days and sometimes weeks. So there's a sense of having really, really accomplished a long-term project when you finish one of those. Mm -hmm. Whereas with a podcast, I try to do lots and lots of research. You know, there's certainly a lot more that goes into it than just the 45 minutes or an hour, Mm -hmm. but it's also, you know, the mic gets turned off and the podcast is over. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's also just a very, very different sensation. One feels like the end of a marathon. The other feels sort of like the end of a sprint. I think that that's interesting. Do you think that's something that's always going to gnaw at your boss where he's always going to have that drawback to, to writing where it's just, it's different because he's taken hiatus. Uh, I listened this week. So maybe that's what happens. The hiatus. He's like, I got the itch and I'm, I want to write. I don't know. You know, I actually asked him about, I had him on uh, the press. Yeah, it was a great show fairly recently. And mm-hmm. I was just really interested to get into that whole thing with him. And I won't try to summarize everything he said about writing and, and stuff. But yeah, I mean, that's, and to me, I think, look, I think we're all in that zone or a lot of us are also, I'll say a lot of us are in that zone now because there are mm-hmm. these great opportunities with audio. Audio is fun. Podcasting is awesome. And, but it also, if you want to have a good podcast, you want to pour and pour a lot of your energy and your good ideas into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, you have so many ideas to go into the writing. So it's a weird balance. And it's new. And I, I think I've talked to close friends and family about this, where this was not a this was not an option for folks 20 to 30 years ago where it's like you either went into sports radio and that was your thing, or you went into broadcast news and that was your thing, or you were a sports writer and that was your thing. Now you have options where you're like, you can be a sports reporter. You can also be a sports like television guest. You can be on an analyst on shows and you can also host a podcast every day. So you can be all three now and it's almost like expected that you do all three or like try and do all three. And then you're like, man, I am pulled in a lot of different directions and I don't really know where I should put the majority of my creative juice into because there's only so much you can do each day. And it's, it's complicated where I I think about it sometimes where I'm like, do I ever get to a point where I'm just like, I should only pour all my creative juice and my focus into the podcast and just, leave writing behind or do I want to continue seeing if I can juggle both or do I want to eventually one day move on? I think I'm locked in the podcast. I've done so many hours and I've uh, grown it so much over the years and just getting signed and getting to where the show is now. I don't think I could ever do it. It's like my child at this point. Like it's just, it's a part of me and I've watched it grow up and we're in third grade and I I want to see what it's like in ninth grade before I uh, make any other uh, changes. But it is something I think about a lot of just like I, I'm kind of envious of journalists of yesteryear who didn't have that choice. And they just were like singular focused on their particular craft instead of having this pull to do a bunch of different things. Do you think about that? Well, I think if we got in the time machine and went and talked to those journalists of yesteryear, mm-hmm. they would be really annoyed that they are only writing for a newspaper. 
that mm. people have to buy their newspaper, that they can't get their newspaper online. Mm-hmm. Right? So they have a tiny, tiny audience, and they would constantly be telling you, "Man, if I just had a national outlet, <laughs> if I just, I, if I just had an outlet where I could really be me instead of." confined by this newspaper or magazine to write articles a certain way. So it would actually be just completely the opposite problems. And they would have hmm. absolutely no sympathy for us at all. Interesting. What's your morning routine like? What do you read? What? How do you organize? Because I have like a whole spreadsheet that I go through to read everything I need to read. How do you do your uh, morning routine? It's weird. I usually try to put it off because I find my hmm. brain is working v- absolute at its best for whatever that's worth <laughs> when I first wake up. Mm-hmm. So whatever project is in front of me, if it's, you know, figuring out questions for a podcast guest, if it's writing a piece, if it's just researching a topic, I'll just front load all of the most important thing as much as I can. Mm-hmm. I'll sort of look at Twitter and just kind of look around a little bit. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I find that I it's better if I sort of put that off till midday. Hmm. Which of course is weird because then a whole other, you know, and we've had five more news cycles by then. Yeah. It's got like, oh wait, what? You know, I I missed that thing that was overnight, but. To me, that works a little bit better, just how my brain works. Interesting. What's your uh, What's your favorite aspect of watching sports in the West Coast? Because this is the biggest pull. If you ever want to pull me to the West Coast, like that, that's it. I, I'm just so envious. But is it weird for you to watch Texas at like 9 a.m. your time? <laughs> the 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. college football start is really weird. Yeah. You know, game day going off the air and you're like, whoa. I'm drinking coffee <laughs> still right now. Sometimes I've just gotten up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you what's weird. You know, I have kids who are six and nine. Mm. And so there is an absolute dream of having games start and wrap up early, partly because mm. my son who's nine can actually watch it. You know, like my mm. son can watch Sunday night football or the Super Bowl in its entirety because it ends at 830. Mm-hmm. And he can go to bed. Right. Like good fourth grader. Good. <laughs> um, on the other hand, everything, every afternoon or night game starts right in the middle of dinner. Mm-hmm. So just in terms of like being a dad who's present and not, ah, oh, dad's in the other room again and watching sports. Mm-hmm. You just you feel kind of like you're, <laughs> you're kind of doing a bad thing because you're constantly pulled away right at these key family moments. Mm-hmm. But I do love it because, again, stuff ends at 830 and then you're like, yeah. I can get two or three hours of working or watching TV or whatever I want to do after everything shuts down for the night. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty nice, Brian. Yeah, like I like I write in these Tennessee games, like when I'm doing like the baseball stuff and it's late, I'm like, do I just want to wake up early or do I want to write into 2 a.m. writing about this? And it's it's a tough back and forth. But if you I think about that, where Tennessee baseball ended at like five at 8 8, 8 p.m., it's done. You have this whole other part of your day and you can get through. Yeah, it's just I I romanticize the West Coast sports viewing experience (laughs) because uh, East Coasters, we have it rough over here. There's a lot of sports breakfast. Put it that way. <laughs> that, I'm, I'm down for that. Like, I would love to start my day because I do that anyway. Like, I put on something from the previous night that I need to watch and watch some film of over it. Like, I don't feel like watching the Braves that particular night. Then I watch it in the morning and I can speed through and get where I need to be. Forget the Braves right there uh, catching the Mets. And tonight or as this game, as uh, we record this podcast, uh, they could be a half game back after uh, of the Mets and the analyst people forget um, Atlanta Braves pretty good at baseball um, in terms of the Texas Longhorns though Brian you get yeah. Arch Manning who I mean <laughs> Arch Manning you get uh, Quinn Ewers back after his uh, what do we want to call his experience in Columbus mm. 
his internship his gap year his gap year where he got paid uh handsomely for uh for some i wonder what classes he took like that's what i want to know what 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 was he taking uh yeah, that's that a good year? question do you think he took like the full load because like i'm definitely not <laughs> playing this year mm-hmm. maybe i would right like because you're gonna have to get through it anyway so just do like that's that would be interesting but you got quinn ewers now who should start week one for Sark last year, obviously it was a little bit bumpy uh, for Sarkeesian, but <laughs> just a tad, just a tad, but you, things are pretty good. And I like Arch, obviously there was a uh, avalanche of uh, folks who followed Arch to Texas, 10 recruits, not too long after he signs. Um, this is a really interesting situation because Arch is blazing his own path. He's following his uncle, Peyton where there were no Tennessee ties in the Manning family like this was an Ole Miss Louisiana type thing and then he goes to Tennessee Arch is kind of doing the same thing where he's just like yeah we're going to the SEC but I want to have my own thing I don't want to be an Ole Miss rebel I don't want to stay home and do the LSU thing I don't want to follow my uncle um, to to Tennessee like I'm gonna go to Texas and I think it's super important that Sark is able to establish that right away where you get Quinn Ewers and then you bring in Arch and people are like, Oh, how does it work between the two of them? The whole point is getting them like it will figure itself out. Like the, you'll be fine. If you have multiple five-star quarterbacks in a room, guess what? One of them is going to work out. It That's how <laughs> this works. You want as many as humanly possible. When you saw that though, Arch Manning actually picked Texas and did it in the most Arch Manning way possible of just like, I'm going to Texas. And <laughs> that was it. No video, no anything His else. First tweet ever, right? Yeah. And he was just like, I, and we don't even know if he did it. He probably didn't even do it. He just had some family friend or whatever just schedule a tweet for it to go out when it needed to. But I, I'm very, very fascinated to see what happens here because I've been so curious to see how Texas translates into the sec because i think oklahoma's gonna be fine and venables is putting together an sec staff and he's just putting like he has so many new coaching positions and if you want to look at their stuff you're like oh god venables is just like lincoln riley we're tripling the staff we're doing this we're doing that and he he knows what's coming for texas i was like they're struggling just to get out of the big 12 like they're struggling to put together tim win season in the big 12 like i i don't know about this move for them does Arch coming make you feel better, though? Are you just like, we got Arch Manning in the building. We got Quinn Ewers under center this week. I don't really care about the other stuff. I'm just happy we have Arch Manning. Yeah, I, it makes me feel like they've done the thing they had to do after a terrible season last year and mm. really a decade of terrible Texas football, <laughs> which is, as you say, first of all, you got to go get a quarterback. That has been a really, really awful position for Texas, especially since they've been in the middle of a state that is churning out quarterbacks like crazy. They've mm-hmm manage somehow to find none of them mm-hmm. um or you know sort of one half of one in sam ellinger we want to mm-hmm. we want to put him on the list um so the, he did what he had to do and look i think that my jury my personal jury if i may on sark is is out like mm-hmm. he really could be a seven or eight win coach he's been that his whole career there's no evidence that he's going to be better than that but the one thing at this point in his life that he should be able to sell is I'm really good at turning quarterbacks into first round draft picks. Mm. You should absolutely be able to sell. They did that at Washington, did it at USC, did it at Bama. And you should be able to go to the best quarterbacks in the nation and say, I know how to do this. Mm. I absolutely know how to do this. And now he's done it twice in a period of a couple of months. And like, and I'm totally with you the whole, what, what's going to happen if they're, you know, if they're both on the roster, come on now, mm-hmm. okay. come on. 
<laughs> this but, is okay. This, yeah. is, this is the good. This is the Alabama problem. The yeah. Texas problem has been. Let's look around the quarterback room. Like we don't want any of these guys to start. Yeah. Let, let's have the different problem first, and then we can worry about that. Tennessee fans are doing that, where it's like, well, Taven Jackson's already in the building this year, the four-star kid, and then Nico's the next year. It's like <laughs> that's not a problem. And can you imagine like walking uh, and just talk, saying that to Sark's face, like asking that question in the reporter pool of like, how are you going to juggle multiple five stars? And he's like, what do you mean? How am I going to juggle? I'm just going to have multiple five stars in the room, and we're going to win a lot of football games because I always have talent at the quarterback position, the most important position in football. That's the, the whole point of this is this. What are you talking about? Totally. And I, the ad here is that Texas was in a great position with the NIL to mm-hmm. make itself relevant again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> big state school, big boosters, rich alumni that can put together and an, an organization to do that. Right. And they have obviously let, let's just let's just say that they've obviously done that mm-hmm. last year's recruiting class, which had a ton of offensive linemen right at the end. And then this year with Arch Manning and all the guys that have followed him in. So again, if there are if there are advantages to being a flagship university in a state like Texas, it should be able that you are you have your ducks in a row in that aspect, and they seemingly do. Do they have a bigger base than AM? Or like you're more familiar. Are they like do they have more of an NIL superpower potential than AM? Or is AM just doing a lot early? Yeah, I think AM was just more organized. Hmm. I don't know how to like uh, rate levels of texas wealth <laughs> beyond my comprehension so let's call it a draw mm. a&m was seemingly more organized out of the gate but again this is the thing you know i, I was joking with my podcast partner david the other mm. day it's like we've been winning the revenue national championship <laughs> for like 20 years now like yeah, yeah we made more money than everybody else yeah let's put up a banner so if we're going to crow about making more money, oh, look at all this money, which mm-hmm. cares. It doesn't matter to people like that. I don't care. I don't win anything. I don't get a mm-hmm. ring when we have more revenue than anybody else. If that's the case, then let's figure out, let's, meaning the whole mm-hmm. community, figure out the NIL game and be good at that. And I think they have. And David, he's a Baylor guy, isn't he? He's a Baylor guy. We're so he can just rub it in. He's like, we almost just won the Big 12 and we have no money. Like we're over here just... <laughs> no. uh, yeah, we're just a fixer upper school. Yeah. I mean, they're they're actually good at sports. That's yes. the, that's the thing. And they get left behind. And that's why the realignment thing is just so weird to me. Because I think, hmm. what did we do over the last 10 years to qualify for the SEC? Well, we're the flagship University of Texas, but that's hmm. been the case for a hundred years now. I haven't been good at football. We haven't hmm. turned out like number one draft picks. We've just done exactly the opposite of that. So we're the winners in the whole realignment scheme by being big losers, but by having <laughs> structural advantages over everybody else. I mean, you can say the same thing about USC. Yeah. I just find that to be so weird. So like, am I happy that Texas is in column A instead of column B? Absolutely. When mm-hmm. this all gets sorted out, but at the same time, it's a really, really strange kind of victory when, you know, nothing has really happened on the field. It's just, again, things that are inherent to being the university of Texas at Austin that were inherent back when we were in the Southwest conference. It's just so strange. You mentioned USC and I mean, Georgia's figured this out and this was something that I think Georgia fans, that's like the most uh, frustrating part about talking to Georgia fans about Georgia football right now is that like this, uh, <laughs> this build it from the ground up stuff that Kirby built. Cause he's, I mean, he's built Alabama 2.0 and they're a death star now and they're going to be great for as long as Kirby's there and everything else. But like, look at where these kids are coming from. I'm very familiar with uh, high school football in the state of Georgia and very familiar with how many five stars and four stars are in the state of Georgia. Yes, 
this is what it should have been. Like, this is what it always could have been. What you, this is not some like Tennessee has to go to North Carolina. They have to go to Georgia. They have to go to Virginia. Texas, USC, and Georgia should be this every year. It's mm-hmm. right there. Kids want you, like they want an excuse to stay home. Like they want you to give them a reason to stay home. They want their family to be able to go to these games. They want their friends to be able to go to these games. They don't want to leave. By and large, they don't want to leave the home state. And it's like, great, congratulations on locking down one of the best recruiting areas in the country where <laughs> high school football is just the biggest priority in the state like yeah that's how it should be it's totally. just you don't have to get creative so that's the whole thing with texas is like i understand why texas fans are mad and i also get why they have high expectations because there is no excuse for the longhorns not being a college football playoff contender every single year like you have a right and a reason to have unrealistic expectations where it's like sark you're out like you get two years done like we're gonna find somebody <laughs> else we Everybody can recruit in Texas. That's how it works. Like, we'll always have that. And we have the money and everything else and the resources. And yet, it never... Get, it, it, we shouldn't say never. They were in the national title game a decade ago. Like, it, yeah. it's not that long ago. The 2000s were a very good decade for Texas. Exactly. And I don't know. I think there is still a lot of reason for optimism. But how much do you think AM's strides in recent years has kind of frustrated Texas fans even more? Oh, big time. And mm-hmm. I think especially with the recruiting classes. Now, Texas fans will always, and again, I said this as a longtime denizen of the message boards, will always <laughs> point to Texas A&M and go, well, when's that last national championship banner? Mm-hmm. Was that World War II? Was that, when, was that when that one was put up? Because they've been, you know, and again, when I was a kid, they were the better team by far mm-hmm. in the 80s. They were awesome putting guys in the pros. Texas mm-hmm. was not very good. Um, so there's always this we won one. Mm-hmm recently and yeah. you won zero <laughs> recently but i think yeah with with them going out and getting the big time coach which texas hadn't been able to do right texas tried that with nick saban mm-hmm. to whatever degree didn't work you know settled for the tom hermans the charlie strong mm-hmm. the sarks the very gettable type of coaches and him went and landed the big fish then following that up with recruiting success and pretty good season on the field last year uh considering and didn't have much of a quarterback you know last year so yeah, oh, absolutely. It, it makes them mad. Have you already pre-ordered the Arch Manning jersey for your son? <laughs> See, buying the Texas jersey to me, I have not bought one since Colt McCoy. Okay, but now you get the name on the back, though. This is like, that's going to be weird to see Manning on the yeah. back of a Texas jersey. That's a really good point. I didn't think about that. There's a certain yeah. there's a certain glamour in that. I also just kind of reached the, should I be wearing a jersey phase of <laughs> adulthood? <laughs> well, do you wear, like, do you wear any sports? That, like, well, first off, how often have you been able to get back to Texas to go see a game? When was the last Pre-pandemic, time? I was good for one or two a year. Okay. Usually the Oklahoma game in Dallas, because that's home for me is Fort Worth. So I'd go home and go to that game, which is my absolute favorite college football game to go to. Mm-hmm. What do you still call it? Do you call it the big, uh, the, do you call it the shootout or have you renamed it? <laughs> yeah, the pre-2000 uh, <laughs> name. I, I, I do not allow this to be changed. Yeah, just, mm-hmm. just Texas OU, right? Let's, we don't need the, we don't even need the moniker. Yeah, uh, I, I guess not. Um, what do you think ultimately happens, though? What is your gut telling you about Texas this year? Well, there's still a there's still a run before you can walk. Phase yeah. This was a bad, bad football team mm. last year, and I think eight wins uh, is a probably a pretty good scenario this year with potentially like a big win over somebody. I'm not gonna. We're not gonna. We're gonna take Bam off the board right now. Mm. <laughs> I, I don't know if I should go to that game just for the I was there win aspect yeah. of it. 
but, you know, beating OU would be a start. Winning eight, nine games, just being relevant again. I mean, to me, that's that's the step they haven't taken mm-hmm. uh, in a couple of years. And I think if you take that step, and then Quinn Ewers is in his junior year, what will be his, effectively his junior year, mm-hmm. right, or redshirt sophomore year, then then it's like, okay, this kid's interesting. You have another rec- good recruiting class this year. Okay, then we can talk. Mm-hmm. But to me, I, 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 we've been getting ahead of ourselves at Texas for a long time, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna tap the brakes just a bit. I, they're the biggest wild card in the Big Twelve. Like the Big Twelve is fun for a number of reasons, but I think the biggest is that you could talk yourself into seven teams winning the Big Twelve this year. Absolutely, and that's not the case in any other conference. Like, <laughs> like Kansas State could win the Big Twelve this year. Absolutely, I think like, that's on the board somewhere. And it's not. It's not really a compliment to the Big Twelve because I don't think any yeah. of those teams are great. You know, I mean, they're all they, good though. They're all, all they're, like, they're all solid. They're all Iowa State on down. Like they're all solid. Like you could just talk yourself into a lot of these different programs, and that's fun. Yes, it feels like a bunch of eight win teams. Honestly, yeah. they could sneak up into the you know eight, nine, ten range of somebody. Somebody, yeah, really an all time year. If like Adrian Martinez is who we everybody thought he was going to be at Nebraska, yeah, that's, that's a ten win team. Guy. Like we've seen it at K State with Colin Klein and company. Like we've mm-hmm. seen them do that. That's uh, the wild card of all wild cards in the Big Ten. Exactly, or Big Twelve. Oh, that's a Freudian slip there. Oh uh, God, oh, right. <laughs> I'm already already in the Super Conference era. <laughs> We joined. Sex has joined the different conference the last twenty minutes. I uh, I got so bummed because I had on uh, Staples yesterday, and he was telling me, yeah, he's like, oh, the realignment pods do better numbers than any any other pods throughout the year, and I'm like, and I I thought like I thought about you when he said that because I was like, Brian tweets about this all the time of like worried about ratings and what this all means, and it's like, oh god, the realignment conversation, and also just realignment in college football is probably going to be better ratings and it's still missing the point where everyone's going to talk about it. it's like i feel like i'm banging my head against the door all the time when someone if you have this conversation the first thing they'll say is like well you know it's money it's like yeah i, I got that like i i you say follow the money Ooh. right hey thanks woodward <laughs> <laughs> yeah i got it like thanks oh have tip. you heard about this did you hear about espn and fox that they might have some influence over what really okay mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, no, we all got that. We know why it's happening. What we're saying is whether or not it's good and whether or not it's uh, uh, that that's the conversation we're having. We're not having whether or not money's involved. I've heard of, did you hear about this? Did you see this? The Jay Leno stuff, money in college football. It's more of like, well, this is kind of bad for a lot of programs. And I think the biggest tell, and this is something that I want to get your perspective on, is that I think when you think about regional fan bases versus like how national analysts and reporters see those people, there Mm -hmm. could not be a bigger disconnect than national college football analysts and regional college football folks. Like, I think that's the biggest disconnect of any sport all across the country where you, I like not to pick on anybody, but like Cowherd made this point of like, Oh, you know what I was not going to watch was Colorado, Oregon state. You know what I am going to watch USC, uh, Penn state. You know what I am going to watch in the cut. And I'm like, Okay, that you were never going to watch. What? That's not Colorado and Oregon State fans were going to watch that game. They were going to watch that. Yes. Like Oregon State wants to see Oregon, Oregon State. That's the regionality of it. They're going. Like it's not like they're empty stadiums over there, and that there are people in Corvallis and Pullman and all these other areas that don't watch and love that game. That's a complete misunderstanding. We understand, that, like on a national level, that that game has more. Uh, interest and it'll be closer more NFL future NFL guys in the roster but like that's literally never been why anyone's watched college football and that's not how any fan in Corvallis sees it where they're like 
or any fan in USC. Like they're not thinking, oh, I'd rather do this than this. Like they're no, it's still a regional sport that people want to watch regional rivalries, even if it's not a sexy national game. Like that's not a real thing. So what you're going to see happen, I think, is I think if they do this wrong and they do the super conference stuff wrong, what you'll see is those fans in those areas don't watch the big games. They literally will just watch the group of five or wherever they fall into. And they just don't have association with the college football as a whole anymore. It's just kind of like this hobby that they, they watch kind of like MLS where you watch your team and then that's it. I don't think they're going to tune in because they're not a part of that group anymore. They're not a part Mm -hmm. of the bigger picture. So then you're asking, well, hold on, this is a better game. You should watch this Oregon state fan. You should tune into this. No, Oregon state fans are gone. Georgia tech fans are gone. Syracuse fans are gone. And that's not a huge piece, but it's a piece. And I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding about what actual fans in these areas and in these college towns and who went to universities and understand like you and I being in the South and that kind of thing, we get that. But I think a lot of folks just they need to go and fly into Pullman or fly into College Station and talk to what actual fans are looking for. Well, it's too late because they, yeah. they went to the wrong college, obviously. Yeah. The only time I feel like people like us can pull rank is on college sports because mm-hmm. you just understand in a different yes. way. You know, I didn't go to an Ivy League school and sometimes I feel sorry for people who didn't go to Ivy League. School. <laughs> you missed out. I mean, right. <laughs> I, I can't tell you how like going to college football games was the reason I went to the university of Texas. I'd love to have mm-hmm. 18 high minded academic reasons. I'm so glad I went, but it was pretty much w- number one on the list mm-hmm. that that would organize my four <laughs> years is that I would have fall Saturdays and that would be incredibly fun. It absolutely lived up to the hype in this. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. If you, if you weren't there, I don't know what to tell you. It's really, really hard to understand. It's really hard to understand why you can't just trade Oklahoma state Mm-hmm. or Ole Miss, and everything will just be the, exactly the same. No, right. it won't. It 25 years of figuring out why we dislike Oklahoma <laughs> State and mm-hmm. what particular opinion we have of their fans, which is slightly different than Texas Tech fans and was different than Nebraska fans before they left the conference. Yeah. It's just not transferable in that right. way. Now, I think there is the one thing that college football fans actually didn't like was the equivalent of wrestling squash matches at the beginning yes. of the season. There was way too many of those. That's mm. gotten better over the last 10 years, but there's just way too much junk in the college football season. We're like, mm. okay, let's, you know, subscribe to the Longhorn Network for two <laughs> weeks so we can <laughs> so we can watch us beat New Mexico State or whatever. I, I think there was a dissatisfaction with that. There was absolutely not a dissatisfaction with a regional rivalry. Mm. Come on, man. And you know that, what we that, need? We need more neutral side games. I think that's what fans really like is like they love, <laughs> you know, it's fun. Like the Tennessee world even more. Yeah. Yeah. No, who would want to like, who would want to go to Notre Dame for Notre Dame, Georgia? You would have rather have played that game in Charlotte at the Belk Bowl. Like that's where you want to do that is, Absolutely. you know, I mean, come on. I want to. Yeah, I want to. I want an NFL stadium. That's yes. where I want to play my college football games. But that's where we're going. And that's what I think is like, they're not going to be NFL stadiums, but they're going to feel like NFL game venues because they're going to be so just like, there's no rivalries anymore. So they're just playing two random college teams that have no baked in like animosity. So it's just going to be a really laid back. It's not going to be, it's just not going to be the same. Like it's going to feel a little, 
watered down. It's just going to be a watered down in-house product because you don't have like Tennessee, Florida this fall. Like the future is we will not have Tennessee, Florida every year. That looks like that's probably out with uh, future expansion. There, that's a different vibe when you have 17 years of Florida just finding ways to beat Tennessee and ruin seasons, no matter how good Tennessee was that year compared to Florida. But it, you have to have those years and you have to have that animosity and you have to have that built in. But when you flip out Florida for Ohio State or whatever, and then Ohio State doesn't come back to Neyland for another 20 years, <laughs> it's just not it's not the same it's not going to feel the same in the in the coliseum it's not going to feel the same in the stadium it's just not going to have that same same vibe and it really bums me out i agree and i think you have to go to the games mm. to even feel that or feel it most acutely mm. because this whole thing is obviously designed for television that's almost right. all the money but as a television presentation chris fowler and herbie will be rare to go look at this matchup oh mm-hmm. wow here we go right <laughs> but it will take going uh, to games and kind of looking around and going not just for the you know the long-awaited Texas Bama game, but the mm. other games on the schedule to just feel what's lost. Yeah, and feel like wow, this is where this is the slot that Texas Tech used to be in. This is mm-hmm. the slot that Baylor used to be in, and that just had a real interesting resonance that Mississippi State isn't going to have. It's mm. and something against Mississippi State. It's just different, and you just can't rewrite all that stuff. In one year, five years, I don't think even 20 years. But they're right. We'll still watch. Like of a lot course. of us, we're still going to watch. I just think it's going to be, I, <laughs> I'm just going to be shouting at the world like, this is bad. Like, this is all bad. I'm oh, going to yeah. watch, but oh. it's not. Yeah. No one was complaining. And that's my whole thing is like, no college, no Tennessee fan was complaining. They're like, you know what? We're doing these rivalry games too much. No Texas fan was like, we're playing Texas Tech too much. We're playing Baylor too much. It's just, no one asked for this. <laughs> Brian, I'm sad. Texas fans might have actually been complaining. Yeah, that's probably true. They, well, they're more they're trying about. to sabotage every conference for 25 years. They, 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 they might get a pass, but they're the exception that proves the rule. There you go. Brian, what can uh, we look out for you at the ringer.com this week? The press box, you have Paul Feinbaum on that people can check out on Spotify and all that good stuff. But uh, what would you like to plug as we wrap up here today? Paul Feinbaum. Yeah, we got Monday uh, back on the press box with my pal, David Shoemaker. And then mm-hmm. uh, we'll do a little sports radio. I'm out on the East Coast this summer. So I'm doing a little sports radio tour of the East Coast. Mm-hmm. I know you're a fellow fan of sports radio. Oh, yeah. yeah kind of the rivals message board of uh, <laughs> electronic media. Yeah. So uh, I, I did uh, sat down with Angelo Cataldi in Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago. Who's okay. Been there after 30 plus years, Paul Feinbaum. And I got one more next week and uh, then I'm going to wrap up my uh, tour and go on to uh, other things. Okay. Months. I like it. I like it. Brian Curtis, I wish you nothing but the best going forward. It'll be fun. Enjoy your summer. And uh, we'll have to reconnect when uh, Nico versus Arch happens uh, in Neyland, maybe in a couple of years. We'll see. <laughs> For our new, our new very organic rivalry. <laughs> yeah. I always hated those guys. <laughs> <laughs> and tv execs are like why is the what why is there not a lot of hatred where's the fans like go uh, what's going on here why don't they seem to really hate it oh who would have thought that you can't just push that on to people that uh, that was not how it worked uh, thanks for having me chase always great to talk to you all right y'all that'll do it for 
this edition of the Chase Most Podcast, part three with the Ringers, Brian Curtis. Hope you guys enjoyed Brian and I's conversation. I had a lot of fun, and I hope you guys had a lot of fun uh, checking out this particular edition of the podcast. Uh, make sure to go check out theringer.com and subscribe to Brian's show, The Press Box, if you have not already done so. It's a great program that you should check out each and every week over on the Ringer Podcast Network. Um, if you like today's episode, make sure easy way to support the program leave a five-star rating and a review on apple Podcasts or spotify if that is indeed how you listen to today's episode easy way to help the show continue to grow it helps other uh, people find the show and all that good stuff so tell a friend coworker, family member about the chase the most podcast and why you like listening to it here on the blue wire pod network uh, don't forget make sure you're subscribed on the youtube channel youtube.com slash chase the most podcast and uh, all that good stuff like and subscribe over there all right that'll do it for this Thursday edition of the program. Thank you as always for your support and uh, making the Chase the Most podcast part of your daily listen wherever and however you listen to the program. I greatly appreciate it and all the good folks uh, helping uh, this team and helping this thing work each and every day over at Blue Wire. So there you go. Uh, new episode jam-packed tomorrow as well. So look out for that on a Friday and uh, just a lot more content coming down the pike as we wrap up here here in mid-july cannot believe it's already mid-july it's crazy all right uncle Derek, how to do nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah